uh, we have a brand new thing going on with children uh, today, and usually the first Sunday of every month, we enjoy the children in here with us, and we're going to maintain that part way. Uh, what we've made as kind of a shift for fall is that first and second graders, you are still going to be dismissed and go to your class, and um, those of you who are older than that, uh, you're going to remain in the service now. So at this time, if you're first, second grade, you guys can go ahead and dismiss. Obviously, parents, we just want to let you know, um, we want to be supportive of whatever you're trying to do as a family. And so some families say, man, from, from the time they're really, really young, we want them in our, uh, in our pew row, you know, uh, garden some seats for us and, uh, and sitting in church. And um, so if that's your deal, we love that and want to support that. And um, if you want to send them off to our, our great children's program, you can do that as well. Let me invite you at this time, too, to go ahead and pull out your notes uh, from the bulletin. You should have received a bulletin when you came in. If you need one, you can pop a hand up. Uh, if you need a Bible and you don't have a Bible, that's, that's just fine. Uh, we will give you a Bible. In fact, this is yours to keep. If you'd like to walk out of here uh, with it today, that would be just fine if you don't own a Bible. If you do own a Bible and you brought it, you need to open it up right now to the Gospel of John. Uh, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, fourth book of the New Testament. We'll get you there. I'm not going to give you my page number because it's not the same as yours. But you can go to John chapter 3. We have been working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, just last week, Ben read one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3.16. Some of you are football fans. And uh, this is almost a holy day for some people in our nation uh, because it's football season. You know, and are you ready for some football? That kind of thing. Um, you know what? There's going to be uh, John 3.16, I guarantee you. At some stadium uh, today, that verse will be there. And I don't know how many people know that verse, but they know that reference at least because they watch their football faithfully. Um, but that whole passage last week talked about rebirth. And how cool is it this week? This is just God's hand of providence just being good to us. We get to talk about baptism today in this text. And yours truly scheduled the baptisms for today, not really putting that together on my own. God just did that. Said, we're going to talk about baptism a little bit. Last week, we're going to talk about rebirth. And now we're going to have some baptisms, which is just going to be kind of a picture for us, which is super cool. Um, I want you to think about the last wedding that you attended and, um, and what it was like. I happen to go to a lot of weddings. Part of my calling in life is to go to weddings. Um, the, the counterpart, that's, that's cool because you get a lot of free food um, and all of that. Uh, you get to be just a part of this really joyous occasion, which is great. Um, but uh, it's also really nerve-wracking because I'm, I'm often involved in weddings. And um, I remember Glenn Miller, you know, comes alongside me one time. And the very first wedding I did was my, my wife's younger sister's wedding. And, um, and Glenn Miller and I kind of co-did this wedding. We, we, we led it together. And Glenn, being that older, wiser pastor, came alongside, put his arm around me, and he goes, Dave, I'm never as nervous as when I'm doing someone's wedding because I'm really afraid I'll screw up their special day. <laughs> you don't tell that to a young guy who's nervous and doing his first wedding, and it's in my own family. So if I mess this one up, I mean... Every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, I'm done. So I'm like, thanks, Glenn. I really appreciate it. So that's the kind of friend that Glenn is, though. He uh, he passes on those nuggets of wisdom. So um, after shaking in my uh, fancy black shoes, uh, the Lord saw me through that wedding, and since then I've done a ton more. 
Um, but one of the things about weddings, you, you don't go to weddings for very long before um, crazy things happen at weddings, don't they? I mean, we could we could probably spend, we're going to have a welcome lunch afterwards. We could probably spend a lot of time just sharing our own funny wedding stories, whether it was your own wedding or someone else's wedding. Um, but one of the one of the best sources of storytelling from weddings comes when the toast happens. And um, and there are some people who just know how to stand up and give a good toast. And when they do it, I just praise God for that person. Because I go, thank you, Lord. Because there are others who've made me appreciate those who can give a good toast. Because they can't give a good toast. And um, at this at this one wedding, I won't name any names, and they're actually not here, so it's safe. But at this one wedding, this best man got up, and it was a miserable toast. And the entire, I mean, talk about an awkwardness over the whole room. It was thick as cream cheese over everyone's head. We're just all, and it went on and on and on. I almost started just clinking glasses to like cue, let's move on from this, like pull the plug. Um, Today, what we're going to do is this. We're going to, we're going to get to see kind of this metaphor portrayed where John is talking about being the best man. And, um, just as a preface, I'm going to use the word best man here because that's what's in the Bible. But I want you to translate it. All the points are God's best man is. And so you need as a female to look at that and say, okay, or maid of honor. So you can just kind of you know, tr- make that translation for you. This isn't just a message for the men. Um, but he's going to kind of give this, this picture here in our, in our passage this morning. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in 22. Let me, let me read it together and, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. By the way, John 1.18 just gives us indication that the reason that we even can know God is quite simply that he has revealed himself to us. If God never chose to initiate a love relationship with us, he would be a mystery and you and I would be left groping in the dark wondering what God is like. And I would venture to make this bold statement. All other religions that aren't using the, the Bible as their guide And going off of the revelation that God has provided in creation, in the written word of God, and in the person and work of Jesus Christ are groping in the dark wondering what God is like. They're looking for answers. They're having to make guesses. And they and they only can can guess at what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. He has most fully revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus. So if you don't know where to start reading the Bible, go to the Gospels. The Gospels are all about Jesus. You want to know how to interact with ordinary people on a regular day? Go to the Gospels. How did Jesus interact with ordinary people on an ordinary day? How did Jesus deal with attacks? How did Jesus deal with temptation? And on and on and on it goes. And we get to know the heart and the mind of God through the person of Jesus Christ. What are you supposed to be thinking about? What are you supposed to be about as a person? What's supposed to be important to you? What do you shun? All of those things are answered in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That's why we just sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, they'll grow strangely dim in light of his mercy and grace. That's why we're constantly turning our attention back there. So at the start of this morning, I want to I lift our eyes to Jesus. As we read this, we're reading the very person of God in human flesh for us to grow and learn about. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 22 says this, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized 
Now, John also was baptizing. This isn't John the author. This is John the Baptist. Remember, he was introduced in chapter 1. There's two different Johns going on. We've got to keep that clarified. Uh, so John also was baptizing at Anon and Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. There's that joke from this morning that, Rob, you got very little response on, but now we all get it. That was funny. Um, Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. I want to stop right there. We're going to take this through the end of the chapter. But I want to point out just a couple of things this morning. This is really a side note. But this morning we're going to get to, we're going to get to celebrate with some of our own family members who are getting baptized. And there's just not a more thrilling time for the life of a church than to just witness that and be a part of that. Um, I want to just give a couple of, of, of comments about that right now because we're going to, we've saved that for the end of the service and, um, and sometimes it can be hard to hear when water splash around. So I'll, I'll share with you just a little bit about what baptism is about. Basically it's this. It's a, it's a, it's a dramatization. Okay. What it really is, there should be a little thing flashing said, you know, this is a dramatization flashing at the bottom of, you know, the screen or something as we do this. Because what this is, is this is a play being acted out. When someone goes down under the water, they are dying to their old life of sin. They're being put to death. And then they are being washed, being cleansed, being found in Christ. They raise up to newness of life. They raise up born again. Now, is it happen the second you go under? Is it, is it right when the water crosses your earlobes and so you feel it and that's when you're born again? No, no, no. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing magical about that specific moment now. Because this has already gone on internally by faith. This is a spiritual work that's gone on. Remember that? That's from the first part of John chapter 3. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So spiritually, they're already born again. All this is, is for the rest of us to kind of latch onto and grab onto and see this mystery that's going on. Does baptism capture every last nuance of the mystery? No. That's what I was talking about before. Worship allows for tons more mystery. And some of you have been walking with Christ a long time. You get the picture of baptism further as you walk along, don't you? And you just go, man, I am, I now have received the new mark. And as you read the Old Testament, you read about circumcision and how in the Old Testament, it was just the men and they received circumcision on the eighth day. And that set them aside as the people of God. And that was an outward mark of an inward reality. And then you look at the church and you look at the new covenant and you look at what Christ has done and you realize now that male and female is no longer the case. Uh, your race is no longer the case. All are welcome and all receive the outward sign. If you're found to be in Christ, you get baptized. That was always the New Testament biblical model. And so that's what we do as Neighborhood Bible Church. You you become a Christian. You place your faith in him. You believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You get baptized. That's what you do. There's tons of places in Scripture we could point to, but that's not what this message is about. How, How is it that one gets born again? It's belief. Ben nailed that last week. He just said, what's the, what's the way to eternal life? It's through faith. It's simple. It's believing. And we're going to get to watch a child get baptized this morning. A child can understand it. 
It's simple childlike faith, in fact, Christ said. What should I do after I become a Christian? Get baptized. He commanded it. He modeled it. Why? It's the mark of the people of God. Method. Here's an important thing. little subtle thing in this passage that we just read. But our method of baptism, the word baptizo is a Greek word. It basically means to immerse. And it's just like this idea of taking a white cloth and saying, I want it red. You, you baptize it into the red dye. And so some churches believe in sprinkling. Some churches, there's all kinds of arguments. You want to read some fun church history late at night, just pick up books on, on that. There's just, you know, we can find all kinds of reasons to divide, can't we? And argue and fight. Let's go to war over this. Yeah, that's a good Christian uh, picture. Love it. Um, we're not going to get into a huge argument about this. But there is a reason even to the method of why we're going to baptize today all the way under. And here it is. It's kind of subtle. But look with me in verse um, in verse 26. Um, no, not verse 26. Look up in verse 23. It says, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Do you know how much water I need to baptize hundreds of people from a region near Judea if I'm just sprinkling? I don't need plenty of water. I don't need large bodies of water. I really need just kind of a bucket. That's a subtle thing. There's some other places in Scripture that give this picture of just saying, man, just dunk them. Get them all the way under and wet. And so that's why we do it. I want to bring that up because... We've really asked the Lord for this at this church. We've said, God, we don't want to just culturally carry on things or put burdens on people if it's just cultural. If it's just that tradition and grandma did it that way and great-grandma did it that way, so we're going to do it that way. We want to say, Lord, let's strip away anything that's, that's going to get clouded and confused and, and, and not there. And let's hold rigorously to anything you've commanded in Scripture and you want us to be about. That's the method. Um, Let's move on. That's just total side note. That's just freebie. That's like a, that's like the baptism class shrunk down. It's like the Cliff Notes baptism for dummies kind of version of that, of that little deal. So there you go. Um, let's move on. Can I get someone to get me a bottle of water either from the back? Just, just, I don't even need a volunteer. Just someone do that for me, please. I am thirsty. Um, and I appreciate it. Um, Here's the scene, okay? We're not going to read all the way through the end of the chapter quite yet, but here's the basic scene. John the Baptist comes on the scene. Thank you so much. That was quick, yeah. <laughs> um, God chooses John. Some of you know all about John the Baptist because you know your Bible and you've read it and all that. But John was chosen from, from before he was even born. I mean, talk about calling and talk about having your life kind of mapped out. Um, that's, that was John. Um, God, God chooses John not just to be involved in the kingdom, but to actually play a very important part. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. And instead of glorying in that and having that be his main title, what he really was, though, is he was a herald. He was a guy that went before. He prepared the way and said, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And, and he basically was like this kind of, you know, uh, I kind of envision him like the, the little scorekeepers that walk around with the PGA Tour players on the golf scene, you know, with the scorecard. He came marching through town with the sign. The Messiah that's been promised is coming. That was John the Baptist. Now, 
God decides to grow his ministry. God decides to basically begin to bless him. God decides to give him a following. People started coming from all over the place. Words started to spread. Some young kids from, you know, from the region of Galilee were like, man, we gotta go check this guy out. They ultimately became disciples of Jesus. But they go and check out this guy who's wearing camel's hair and eating, you know, bugs and eating honey and living out, having a weird camping trip. And young people just love that stuff, man. It's like Woodstock before Woodstock. But they wanted to go out and see what's the deal? What's going on with this guy? Well, well, God just begins to bless John's ministry and begins to, to grow his ministry. Now, here's what happens in this. John's ministry grows. He's asked by some people, you know, would you write some articles for kind of our national publication? We want you to be our keynote speaker at the national conference this year. He starts to get kind of, you know, a name for himself in a way. I don't think John asked for that. I think that's just the nature of all of us. We as people, we like this. And you know what disciples of a John the Baptist do sometimes? They start to go, yep, that's our guy. We're with John. We were with John when he was just kind of a startup little ministry out in the wilderness. You know, we've got our press badge at the conference. We're like, our guy's speaking. That's John. That's mine. And we start getting, we're, we're part of his crew. And we're kind of following John around. And, and that's sort of what, what is happening here. This little, this little spirit of competition that, that is here is interesting. Here's, here's this crossroads that, that John faced. And if we don't just stop and look at it, we'd never notice it. But the crossroads is this. Suddenly, John's ministry is taking off, right? People are coming out, and they're hanging on every word John is saying. Not only are they watching people get baptized, they're like, where do I sign up? I want in on this. The question for you and I, the question that we see John is, how do you handle success? When God starts to bless you, when God starts to enlarge your territory, when God starts to enlarge your influence, and he's blessed us in so many ways. We had to regularly just go through. Rob just said, man, make a list of the good gifts God's given to you. God has enlarged my family. How do I handle that? There's a potential for me to sit back and go, man, I must be a pretty sweet dude to, to have this happen to me. Man, my business is going crazy. I'm pretty smart. Man, my relationships are starting to just really click. Things are just happening. Wow, my ministry at church, it was not only a great idea, but, but God's just taken it off and good on me. I mean, and God too. Yeah, that's right. God also. But how do we handle success? How does John handle success? The disciples began to glory in the created, which was John, rather than in the creator. Remember that from Romans 1? We, we take glory that's only for God and we ascribe it elsewhere. Isn't it easier to worship something you can see and touch sometimes? That's why idols are so easy to fall into. They're right there. They're tangible. Well, the disciples, I think, started to, to lean that way. And here's why. I think there was a bit of a whine to their voice when they said this. Rabbi, that just means teacher, they're talking to John, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. What did John testify about Jesus Christ? I want an answer here. This isn't rhetorical. Someone help me out. What did John, you don't have to get it exactly right, but John's testifying about Jesus. What did he say about him? He's the Christ. There he is. That's the one I'm talking about. I'm not unfit. I'm not even fit to, to, to deal with his sandals as a slave. That's the Messiah. Go to him. There you go. 
The disciples were probably there and probably even heard that. They even bring it up right here. Hey, that one you testified about? And then I love this. I mean, if you're a parent, you just get this. Well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. I mean, I think that's how it was said. I think there was a whine to it. I think there was a just, uh, you know, this, this thing where you just, eh, everyone's going to him. Was everyone going to John? No. It just says a couple verses earlier, Jesus was hanging out with the disciples and baptizing. John was baptizing. But in this mode, what happens is it feels that way. Everyone's going over here. Everyone's this. And we tend to speak in dramatics when these things happen, don't we? I point to kids because we're parents and we hear that. But we do that too. We just do it way more sophisticated. And we use email. <laughs> so here's, here's what's happening here is that this, this little scene emerges. And I love this line here. It says this. Look at verse 27. To this, John replied. So here's the rest of the morning for you. How does John reply to all this? We painted the scene. God made him successful. God used him in a really, really powerful way. Jesus is there with him. His disciples come kind of bickering and kind of worried about things. And that little spirit of competition that happens between ministries and churches, which is absolutely ludicrous. Because if we're God's church, we're all on the same team. We're all pulling in the same direction. We don't compete with each other. But that happens because we're sinful. And to this, John replied. Ready? Here it goes. And here's where he launches into kind of his, his best man talk. First fill in the blank if you want to fill it out is this, that God's best man is dependent. Look at what John says. We're going, to, we're going to read on ahead here. And by the way, the title of best man for John, it probably didn't fit anyone in the entire world better than John. Here is Jesus' testimony about John. Remember, John testified about Jesus. He's the Christ. Here's Jesus commenting on John. Ready for this? Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of women, that's everyone in this room in case you're clueless on that one, among everyone born of women, of, of women, there is no one greater than John. So, if the term best man ever fit, it really fit with John, okay? He literally was the best man, according to Jesus. But now he's going to kind of use this metaphor of what a best man does in relation to the groom, okay? That's the picture. That's where we're headed right now. God's best man is dependent. Look at verse 27. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Let me just stop there. First thing John says in all of this, a million ways he could have answered that. A million ways he could have replied. John is not speaking out of his flesh. John is speaking out of the rebirth spirit that God's given to him. And he just lays it on the line. His foundation is this. Basically, he says this. I love the way the, the message translates this. Here it is. It is not possible for a person to succeed. I'm talking about eternal success without heaven's help. That's the way the message renders this. He says this, everything that a person has is a gift from God. And if we woke up in the morning and really thought that way, uh, I asked someone, I don't think he's in the room right now, I asked someone how he's doing. He said, I'm alive, and I count that a blessing. I said, that's pretty wise. He was a younger guy. That's pretty wise, isn't it? We walked to church here, most of us. 
We drove cars here. We are breathing here today. We're going to get to enjoy some food later on. Those are kind of the little small things. But what about just in the bigger things? And John here is just dependent. He was a prophet. He was related to, to Jesus. He was chosen to do these miraculous and marvelous things. And yet, basically, he says it's all from God. He was even popular. Not many people can handle popularity. It ruins us most of the time. The same way heaps of money does. And yet he just, he just is dependent on God. He saw clearly the source of his accomplishments. John didn't go around thinking on himself. He probably went around just wanting to do God's will. I don't think John was perfect. He didn't walk on water. Even though Jesus gave that high commendation of him, doesn't mean he didn't struggle in the flesh, but he sure had a good track record, didn't he? Um, How many of you in this room, not by show of hands, but just think about it, how many of you in this room long to be dependent on someone else? How many of you as a life aspiration, you go, man, if I could just reach the pinnacle, it would be where I need other people to handle every last nuance of everything about me. Probably no one views that as a high and lofty goal. Some of us are headed there. That's where the body goes, right? The law of entropy says our bodies are getting worse day by day. We're working out, we're trying, we're doing this and that, but we all kind of know where the story ends with our bodies, right? Some of you may be caring for parents. Some of you may be in this room needing to depend on people in areas that you go, this is just embarrassing. I wish I didn't have to do this. Most of us long to be independent, right? Most of us like the freedom and the ability and the sense of pride that kind of comes with being independent. That certainly is preached in our country, right? That's a high value. In fact, it's almost a right, really, that we're, that we're independent. Uh, being dependent connotates the idea of being needy. It connotates the idea of being reliant. It connotates the idea of being weak. None of which we would state as kind of positive kinds of terms. We would kind of shamefully say those kinds of things. It grinds on this lie that you are a self-made success. Some of you really believe that. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that I fall into that sometimes. Because of this choice and that and this and that, I'm where I am today. We love movies about this. We love stories about this. Where that person started in the gutter and made a success out of himself. A statement that comes along and says, you be dependent, grinds on that lie. And says, that means someone else will get the glory. Someone else will get the praise then. And I won't get it. I don't know if you've ever connected that maybe that's what is at the heart of it. But I think it is. Jesus calls you and I to a brand new life of faith. We're going to see this illustrated. You come up out of being baptized. It's a picture of saying, just walk in the newness of life. I was baptized when I was 17 years old. I remember walking out of that room and going, God, I am am new. I already know that. It didn't happen in the baptistry. But all the days of my life, I'm going to follow hard after you. And I knew there were rough days ahead. I was old enough to get that picture and understand that. But I was committed to a life of faith. I was committed to following after God. I was committed to not living life my old way anymore. Being born again that Ben preached on last week connotates and brings up this this picture of an infant, doesn't it? 
What's an infant but needy and reliant and weak? Do you see that when you're born again, when you're a baby Christian, you're weak. You need people. You're, you're, you're reliant on others. That's part of what getting in a community group's about. Come get around other brothers and sisters who can support you, who can guide you. As a brand new Christian, you mix your worldview with all kinds of crazy things and, and some verses thrown in. And sometimes your, your thinking can be way over here in left field. Sometimes it's just kind of comical or weird or different. Sometimes it's downright dangerous. And that's where having a body coming around and helping you see your blind spots and walking with you and beginning to get you established and nurtured and saying, whoa, careful. I want you to learn to walk on your own, but it's going to take a few knocks once in a while. And you've got those around you to help pick you up and dust you off and encourage you and say, man, I've been there. Let me hold your hand for a while. That's the picture that God calls us to. John was dependent. Sometimes we begin to think that this whole life of faith is about us and somehow about our ability. Look at these verses. I've written them down for you on your page so you can see them. The Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the question that needs to be asked. Who started this good work in you? Where did it come from? Talk to me. God. Yeah, God's the origin, right, of our faith. I didn't one day as a junior in high school say, man, I'm going to suddenly have clarity of thought in the spiritual realm. I'm going to leave this life of old sin, and I'm going to follow hard after things that I don't yet see and to hope that I haven't fully grasped. No, it was God that got a hold of my life, and it's as if he just ripped off a veil that had been on my eyes or a blindfold and said, here, come after me. And so every day after that, I ought to do this. Thank you, God, that you began this work. Thank you that it's on you to finish it. And thank you that I don't have to pick up the burden of trying to earn my way to eternal life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Does a life change that's thankful for that? Absolutely. But it doesn't change in suddenly trying to become or be a good person. Here's the next verse. Paul didn't mince words. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. A little bit of sarcasm in here. That's why I feel freedom to use sarcasm from the pulpit. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Two choices. Which is it? Verse 3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Family, let's be dependent on God for every nuance of our growth. Let's be like John that just says, any success that you see in my life, any glory that you see in my life, anything you look at me and say, man, I ought to be more like that, it's God at work in me. It's God protecting me from my own self. Because otherwise, I would have screwed it up a long time ago and been nothing but a mess. This basically sets up two ways of living the Christian life. One is morality. Morality says this, try harder, live better, quit doing that again because you, you picked it up again. Stop sinning. Earn your place at the table and the family of God. You know what? As a church, as a Bible-believing Christian, we ought to hate that message. We ought to despise morality and religion that preaches that kind of message. You know why? It's, it's bondage. I might as well tell Chris to come up here. Come here, Chris. 
Don't, don't really, sorry. But I'm gonna, I've got some handcuffs. I want to chain you to this giant brick wall. There you go. That's religion. Jesus said it. It's, it's bondage. Who of us can keep that up? I can't. So what happens? We start to cover up, right? You start to put on a show. You start to try and live things. And then you turn into hypocrite. What do your kids see? Your kids see a hypocrite that says one thing, puts on a smile, and holds a large Bible on Sunday mornings, and lives their life a totally different way. That's bondage. That's death. That's planting seeds that will only result in death. You know why God set it up this way? If somehow Travis could attain righteousness on his own, who gets the glory for his righteousness? Travis. God will not and does not share his glory with another. So whether you've been a Christian in here 25 years or 25 minutes or yet to be, you are desperately in need of a Savior today. You're desperately in need of grace. Grace says this, believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ as the only and all-sufficient means of salvation. The only reason I'm pulling up a chair and feasting at the banquet table of God as a part of God's family, totally secure in His love, is because He allowed me to. Is because He chose to, to open my eyes to that reality. It's not because I got smart one day. It's not because I stopped sinning one day. It's not because I have a huge long track record of many ministries that I've started and, and are flourishing today. It's only and always because of grace. And it says, just believe in that. Put your trust in that every single day. What a, what, a, what a thrill to know that God delights in me, not because of my track record and not because of how I'm going to treat all of you out here at the welcome lunch. Because what if I flip my lid and start screaming at one of you? What if I don't do so hot? What if my, what if my view of whether God delights in me is hinging on that today? Do you see that bondage picture again? You might as well go chain me up. And lock me away. What do you lean on in the following areas? I hope to hit, I hope to hit you guys in, in different areas here, here today. And some of these may not be struggle areas. Some of them may. Asking in a different way is, is who or what do you run to when things crumble in these following areas? How about when you're attacked? Maybe you're just in a, in a relationship right now and you're feeling attacked right now. Maybe it's a misunderstanding at work. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it's from a family member from far away and they're digging up past junk, whatever. But you're under attack right now. Where do you go to? Maybe it's within this church. Do you load up your your, your, uh, guns and start preparing for battle with them? What do you do? How about when your job isn't going as planned? Didn't quite work out. Your boss was super nice in the interview. Now he's kind of a jerk. (laughs) What do you do? Who do you run to? What do you depend on? What's your rock? How about when you're insecure? How about when maybe you're portraying confidence, you're portraying you've got it all together, but you are scared to death about a decision that's facing you right now. You have not only your life, but the life of a young child that you're caring for, and you don't know which way is up right now, and you're insecure in that. What do you do? What do you run to? I want to just put a couple of verses out to you. Depend on God in your battles. Look at Second Chronicles 22. You may not be able to read that, but I'll read it for you. It says this, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army. I don't know what vast army you're facing, but listen to what they say. 
that is attacking us. We do know what to do. Uh, we, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Do you see that trust? That's just a picture of Old Testament trust. An army is attacking us. We don't have a clue which way to go, but our eyes are on you. Beautiful picture. How about this? For your job and your security. Look at Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. I don't care what your calling is, what your job is, but whatever it is you're trying to build, if you are building it for yourself, and unless you, and, and, and if you are doing it on your own, it will crumble. It will crumble just like a little sandcastle. You build it up, you spend hours on it, tide comes in, it's gone. Unless the Lord builds it, you're laboring in vain. Second part, he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, that's protection, that's guardianship, that's, that's your security and your safety, the watchman stands in guard in vain. New home alarm system, good luck with that. Hope it works well. I have renter's insurance, you know. I mean, if that's all, if that's where my, all my hope depended on, I'd be in a world of hurt. Every single parent knows this the day that their kid walks off to school, rides their bike around the block or anything. They go, man, Lord, if they're in your hands. I can't possibly manage all of this. What do we have that is not given to us by God? Absolutely nothing. So live your life in thanks of that. Here's the second one. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I forgot the future one. Third little fill in the blank. Uh, trust in God for your future. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Second one is this. God's best man is deflective. Read verse 28 with me. Verse 28 says this. It says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. John's saying to the same disciples that saw him testify before, he's just reiterating what he already said. You, you yourselves can testify. Here's what I said. I'm not changing my message. I am not the Christ. What he did before was he took a spotlight and, and he shone it over on Christ. He said, that's the one who's sent from God. There he is. And now when people come a little bit later and Jesus is getting glory, you know what? If he did it just on the external, it would be eating at him right now. And he'd want to just, just a little snack of glory from these people. You know what? Here it is. Some time has passed. They come to him. He has the same message. You yourselves can say what I said. I'm not changing it. He's the Messiah. He's the one who gets the glory. He's the Savior. I'm not. I'm not from God in that same way. Um, what if, what if uh, your best man was doing things like this. I, I, the last wedding I think I did was, was Chris and Tricia Shelley, and they're sitting back here on the right side for me. And um, Chris, your best man was Doug, right? Okay. So Doug is a guy that I've heard tons about because I've known Chris for almost, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. And I always hear about Doug. I've met Doug a few, you know, a few times, but Doug's just been there for Chris. He has been a lifelong friend. That's why you choose him as your best man, right? So Doug comes along and, and begins doing kind of his, his best man duties. But let me, just, let me just play this scene out for you. What if Doug, okay, shows up at, at rehearsal? And just from, from the rehearsal on, they had this beautiful setting over kind of in Santa Cruz. And what if at the rehearsal, Doug was trying to start to outdo Chris a little bit, start to show, show up Chris a little bit? What if, um, what if at the wedding and kind of while it was going on, Doug is, uh, Doug's kind of flirting with Trisha a little bit? He's kind of nudging over, you know, and grabbing her other hand, right? What if when they, they had the uh, buffet and the introductions, you know, Doug shows up. Doug's like, hey, everyone. Buffet line. Doug goes first. 
first dance. There's Doug. What, what's Doug's problem? That would have made for a very interesting wedding and all kinds of sermon illustrations later on, but that didn't happen because that's not who Chris would be best friends with, right? He would be a lousy best man. You would be very, very upset with Doug. Doug wouldn't have understood his role and it would have been awful for the rest of us because it would have just been awkward, right? Well, here's the picture. John is sent on ahead to be a herald for Christ. What if he got that screwed up? What if when all these people show up, he's like, whoa, I need to talk. Better talk about myself. It's time for the toast. I better share with them some interesting facts about myself because clearly they're all looking at me. If John did that, he would have completely failed in his mission. If we do that, we've failed in our mission. A deflective lifestyle says, let me tell you about Jesus. Man, you seem to really have your life together. Man, how on earth did you forgive me of that? I just, I have to know. You know what that is? That is, that is a wide open door for you to step through and say, let me tell you how I can forgive that way. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I've got God's Spirit in me. Um, Colossians 1.28 says this, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And to this end I labor, catch this part, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. As you serve Christ, I don't want you coming to volunteer for this church. I don't want you coming to necessarily help me out or help out the elders or help out the nice people who are putting this lunch on for us. I want you to be called of God and serve him. That's the kind of people that God wants. And there's a huge difference in that. You know why? If I don't say thank you to you, you'll take your ball and go play at a different church. Say, man, that ingrateful pastor, he didn't even say thankful, you know, th- thanks to me. He looks sideways at me. He didn't use me in an illustration. On and on we can go. And I can be as petty as you. I could probably out-petty you. And that's how we can sometimes be. But instead just going, I know my place. I'm living under the new nature. It's all for God. Here's what. Here's the picture. Uh, some of you have seen a translator. We were just at a church where there was a Spanish-English service going on. And there's a translator there. Here's the pastor. He's teaching. He's gesturing. I love Mexico because it's so much more and bigger gestures than I tend to use and we use here. But his voice is getting loud. His voice is getting quiet. He's being so expressive. Here's the translator. The translator is back here. A translator is always taught to stand a little bit behind the main person speaking. The translator's job is solely to tell the story that the person speaking is telling. The translator's job is to gesture when the person speaking gestures. The translator's job is to speak the language of the people listening. Isn't that a cool picture for who we are as a part of God's team? We're to just translate God's story. Translate what God is doing. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. What if we lived our lives so sensibly to the Spirit that moment by moment we just knew the words to say and we just said and acted when God said and acted? And we didn't get it messed up when people said, man, you're a phenomenal storyteller. What does the translator say? Well, you know. I know how to turn a phrase. No, I mean, they would be ludicrous to say that. They say, look, I'm just speaking the language. I'm just giving you the words that this person's saying. 
Why don't you go thank them? In fact, let me just thank them for you. That's what a translator's job would be. You can make up your own. I like the picture of, of a, a park ranger who's explaining Yosemite Falls and reading all the things and pointing all about it and not the slightest bit concerned that people aren't looking at him and complimenting on his super cool rigid hat and pressed uniform that he's wearing. No one cares about that guy. All they're looking at is the glory of Yosemite Falls. You write your own job title. And when you go around, you can say this, I'm just a stamp. I'm just whatever. And then you just live your life in in a way that is totally sold out to Christ and totally sold out to him. Here's two more. God's best man is dedicated. Look at verse 29 here. Verse 29 says this. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Fortunately, Doug understood that. We didn't have to have some weird intervention. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. That guy Jesus baptizing, the one you're whining about, the one that everyone's going to, good. I, there, there's nothing that will make me more happy than, in fact, shoo, you go to him also. That was his message. And he didn't change it. And that's just this picture that he's dedicated to the one that he's serving. Not in a way that God's the compassionate CEO and once in a while pats you on the head. It says that we're, we're co-laborers with God. When you go check in with God for assignments, he doesn't send you out and sit behind a giant desk like Donald Trump might do. He goes with you. He walks right out the door. You check in with God for assignments. He walks out the door and gets in the car with you. That's the picture. But Lord, I'm scared to death to share my faith. That's all right. I'm right here with you. But God, it's really, really painful to sacrifice and give my time to people who aren't appreciative and don't like me. That's all right. I'm right here with you. That's what I've called you to do. That's what I've told you to do. Isn't that a cool picture? That's what it is. That's what God's best man does. Ben Ben challenged us last week to just enjoy Jesus. I wonder how we've done this week. Is Is our greatest joy at the end of a day something that has built our kingdom or something that's built Christ's kingdom? When you walk away from something that you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, put a smile on your Savior's face, there's no joy like that. That's an addicting kind of joy, in fact. You walk away from that and go, give me more. Here's the last one. God's best man is decreasing. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. If there's probably an all-encompassing kind of a message for this morning, that's it right there. Christ must become greater. You and I must become less. So what happens when you are given your moment? What happens when you stand up as the best man and it's time for the toast and you say, ladies and gentlemen, may I please have your attention and all eyes are on you and they're listening to you and you've just stood up. What would you say about Christ right then? What would you say about your Savior? Would it be about you and your accomplishments or would it be about Jesus, the one that you're there to be dedicated toward, the one who must increase? Father, help us right now in these moments as we sing this song to surrender. Lord, to lay at your feet that which we've hung on to and to trust you with our future, 
our dreams, as we just sang, to put you in the center of our relationships, to place you in the center of our job title, to put you in the center of our bank accounts. God, I pray that we wouldn't be enslaved by morality, by religion. Keep us as a church from ever portraying that message. But Lord, it's all about you and your finished work on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.